0: Well, once again, welcome to City Spring. There's some guys and gals coming around with some Bibles, and you guys probably haven't, if you came here way, way, way back in the day, this table used to be used every week, and uh, I've kind of tried to make things a little lighter, and today it's got to come back, so here it is. Um, well, we're glad you chose to join us uh, and we've been talking about what it looks like for us to be faith-filled and what's it look like for you to, to really pursue holiness. And holiness is, it has all sorts of things that jumps into you when you start thinking about what it looks like to be holy. And, and to be quite honest with you, sometimes uh, when we think about holiness and we, we quickly start thinking about God and we start thinking about something that God is that we cannot be, uh, there's all sorts of it's really easy for us sometimes to start thinking about well, God is all powerful, and I seem to lack power and control uh, and so there's there are multiple things that God has attained that you know you and I are you know we easily can say when well, I can never do that, but God invites us to pursue holiness, but it seems like this big idea it seems like this uh, a quest that maybe you can never fully accomplish, and it feels a little bit like maybe eating an elephant sometimes, uh, but God intends us to be able to pursue that and to be able to follow him. And, and and following the way of Jesus kind of leads us into holiness. And so we've been kind of wrestling with this and diving into this conversation a little bit. And, you know, we've talked about maybe it's not as big a deal as what you think. Maybe it's just taking uh, making one decision, making the best next decision. Uh, that's where we kind of started out. And, and we've kind of been moving along through this a little bit, and today we're going to kind of wrap this thing up, and I thought what would be kind of cool is to teach a little bit about Palm Sunday, and then we're going to dive into the text in Matthew 4, and then we're going to look a little bit into the Deuteronomy 6 thing, and so there's going to be lots of different stuff, and so I invite you, or I really want to encourage you to have a Bible or a smartphone to kind of follow along, and, and this series has been a little bit more like a Bible study, and when I do sermon series like this, I kind of feel a little insecure, because uh, I, I don't necessarily think that they're always... To be honest with you, I listen to lots of communicators from all over the world and you think, oh dear goodness, they're fantastic. And so when it comes up with something that's yours uniquely, you wonder if it's going to be any good. And uh, so I thank you for all the kind words that you guys have given me saying, hey, this has actually been really good. I'm like, oh, maybe I can be a pastor when I grow up. Um, so I'm still working on the growing up thing. So uh, today I want to I start off uh, this, uh, this kind of idea of God loving us. Uh, It worked out great that Eric had chosen that song because God loves us so much. And for some of us, that's an easy idea to to kind of grasp. Like you grew up in a loving home and you've grown up in in church where you've been told that God loves you, and you maybe even sang the little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Working on that with my little Kinley Bear, and and she loves to sing it, you know. And it's just something that you've been taught all your life, but as you get a little bit older, you kind of start to see all the other stuff that starts happening in the world. Or maybe you've prayed some prayers that didn't get answered. You've been asking for that raise or that job, that promotion. Uh, you've been asking that your marriage would get fixed or whatever it may be. Or you've asked that you could be the, a great husband and then all of a sudden you blow it. And you're like, God, you, where is? where are you? Why won't you answer my prayers? And so the older you've gotten, maybe the more cynical you've gotten and started thinking, man alive, maybe maybe God isn't as loving as what he says he is. I mean, is his... Does his jealousy for me really, you know, does he really have a jealousy for me that, that possesses him, that he wants my heart? I mean, is that really how God is? And I would argue and even say that, yes, God does love you and he is jealous for you so much so that he sent his son to this earth for you and for me. Now, Easter is what we've been building up to, and I'm going to do a little bit of a recap because I kind of want you to understand the bigness of what you're, what you're a part of. Uh, we are in a season that's called Lent, and Lent is on the, hist- on the calendar. It's historically been a 40-day period that leads up to Easter. And then they count backwards from Easter Sunday, counting all every day but Sundays, because Sundays are like the mini Easter celebrations. And so we're in this season that leads up to, and Christians have used this period of time as kind of a, a point of, of, of concentration. Uh, they've used this period of time as kind of a reminder or, uh, of the rhythm of what's going on in our life. But then there's like a preparation of their hearts about the the resurrection of Jesus. And Easter is coming, and I don't want just Easter to come. Uh, have you ever had like a holiday show up on your calendar? Like, I can't believe it got here already. Like Christmas kind of happens like that, especially when you have a long list of things that are, that are going on in your world. And you're thinking about all the gifts and all the things. Well, if we're not careful, Easter could just show up on your calendar and it'd just appear and you could blink and maybe you would do the stuff that some people would use this word a little bit too liberally sometimes, but maybe you do the pagan things like, oh man, we we hunted for some eggs, but we didn't really think much about the resurrection of Jesus. And Easter comes and goes. Well, Christians put Lent in the calendar, kind of the rhythm of the year to kind of make sure that there was a, a focus of this time. And so... We are in that tradition, and we are like in the final week, and this next week is considered to be Holy Week. And Holy Week's kicked off kind of uh, with this uh, arrival of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, and he comes into the city uh, on a donkey, and he rides into the city on a donkey, and as he's coming into the city, the people have been anticipating him. They've heard rumor, they've heard of what the things that Jesus has been doing, and they've like, heard of the, the miracles, and they've heard people starting to talk about maybe he's the one that we've been waiting for. Because their anticipation of the arrival of Jesus didn't just last 40 days, but they were waiting for a Messiah for generations. And so when Jesus starts into the city, people are like, here he comes, here he comes. And when he shows up, he's riding on a donkey, which is a part of the prophecies. They said that your king would come to you riding on a donkey. And so there he is on this donkey, and people are pumped up. I mean, this is like, this is like a Super Bowl parade the champions coming into town and they're laying their palm branches on the road, celebrating His arrival, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. Which is kind of a way of saying, we're with you and He's holy and he's He is the Messiah. And the people look around and they are celebrating His arrival. But what we know about the story of Jesus and what we know about the people who celebrated Jesus is just a few short days later, they go from... Yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, celebrating his arrival, and suddenly they've decided that he is no longer who they thought he was going to be, who they thought he was, should be. And they were willing to turn their backs on him to the point where they would say, Crucify him, crucify him. Which is basically saying, Kill him, kill him. Or we're done with him. Just a few short days later, and what I think happened in that period of time is that there was like this awakening inside of people where suddenly what they thought Jesus was going to do, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this tonight at the, the Great Commission thing. If I haven't mentioned it enough, you should come. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it, it really is. If you want to know, how, like when I, I talk about I wish people would talk back in church, uh, you come the night and you'll be like, oh, I know why Matt likes this. Like, it's fun. Uh, and I'm not going to do a full sermon, so don't freak out on me. Uh, But uh, what I think happened is people had in their minds what Jesus was going to look like and what he was going to do for them. And what they realized is that what they were wanting, it wasn't going to play out the way they thought it would or should. And so they flipped And people who had in no way, shape, or form had any sort of intentions of following Jesus or wanted nothing to do with Him, people suddenly just allowed them to do what they wanted. And Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. When Jesus showed up, before He even started His ministry, we've been looking at this, like Lent, kind of uh, the preparation for Easter, kind of connects with the, the... the passages where Jesus is preparing for his ministry, which is found in the Scriptures where Matthew tells and Luke tell of Jesus going into the desert before he starts his ministry. So he's baptized, and as soon as he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, he takes off into the desert, and he spends 40 days in the desert fasting and praying. And then in that time, the Scriptures tell us that they were the tempter, or Satan, or the devil, or whatever words you would like or you feel comfortable with, he shows up and begins to tempt Jesus. Now today, we're going to read a lot of Scripture, uh, and we're going to kind of look at some of the different stuff that's happening inside of this text. And we're going to, uh, we're even going to read some of the stuff that we've already talked about in previous weeks. And what I want to show, and I'm just going to kind of let the cat out of the bag, is what I want to show you is, in the text, what you see people wanting from Jesus or you see the temptations that are thrown at him, they're very much the same things that are thrown at you and me. But Jesus is kind of leading us into something, a different way of thinking about life. And Jesus, when he came, he said he was going to give us life and life to the full. He was going to show us what it looks like to live life at its best. And so like when we choose to follow Jesus, really what we're trying to do is we're saying, you know what, I'm going to try to figure out how to come back to life the way I was originally tended because there's something that's been stealing and killing, destroying that. And I want to try to pursue him and I want to step into this. And so these the text picks up in Matthew chapter four. Uh, it says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness shortly after his baptism to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, showing the humanness of Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become Bread. The temptation here is like, you're hungry. Your physical needs are apparent to you right now. And Jesus responds and he says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sometimes, as humans, we're tempted by our physical needs. And we think that those things matter and matter. Maybe you have that temptation to make a sacrifice on your values or the things that you know are right and true for just the simple fix of a physical aching. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone, which I talked about this in a couple weeks ago, where Satan himself knows Scripture. He's quoting Scripture to Jesus, and he's trying to show him, hey, hey, this is what it says in the Bible, remember? If you're the Son of God, you can throw yourself down, and, and the temptation here is that if you are who you say, or if you have faith that you are who God says you are, then prove it right now. And something inside of us, oh, there's this temptation that we would prove our faith. I said this, like uh, sometimes that drive to prove you believe what you say you believe, that, that drive to show that you're a truly devout Christian will drive you to do some of the craziest things in the world. I believe that when people think that they're fighting for God, they can do some really nasty things. When people believe that they are You know, fighting for the cause of God or for the cause of Christ or even the cause of Allah or whatever, they are motivated to do some crazy things. And the reason why is because they're trying to show the world that they have faith and they're trying to show even their God that they have faith in God. Look, God, I believe in you so much, I'll do something crazy to prove it. Satan says, throw yourself down here. The temptation is kind of real. Like, I've had that moment when I felt like I need to show people that I have a great amount of faith. And Jesus then responds and says, uh, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And we traced this back and showed that the the scriptures, uh, there was a, a point where the people wondered, was God really with them? And God came through. That temptation of wondering, is God really with me, can drive us to do some crazy things. But the scriptures tell us that he is. So we don't need to do crazy things to try to prove his presence to anyone. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, can you imagine Jesus? He came to earth and like his initiative, if you will, the charge was that he would come and show people the way back to God. He was coming to kind of show people, this is what it looks like to live life at his best. This is what it looks like to be someone who follows the way of God. And, and believe it or not, like I know this sounds kind of weird and sometimes it even feels foreign. Hopefully it doesn't to you at City Spring because you've heard me talk about this so much. But like <clears throat> in the Christian world, lots of times we have a hard time understanding that what God created the world He created the world to be at peace. Shalom is the word that the Hebrews use. He wanted the world to be at peace. And peace had a couple of ways that it would live itself out, that you would be at peace with yourself. When Adam and Eve sinned, one of the first things that happens is they felt shame like they'd never felt before. There was this inner issue. They lost peace internally. There'd be peace with yourself. There'd be peace with your neighbor, your friend, your coworker. You'd figure out what it looks like to live at peace there. When you see sin come into play, peace between each other is lost. Adam, what in the world happened? Adam responds and says, It was her. It was this woman you gave me, as some texts likes to paint the picture. Peace between the two of them was lost. To which then she says, what was the snake? <laughs> then part of the, the downfall of the story was that God says, Adam, it's going to be difficult for you when it comes to growing food. There was a loss of peace between man and the world, the environment that God originally charged us to take care of. We'd lost that peace, that shalom there. And finally, there was a, a sense of loss. There was a fracture between man and God, us and God. The peace between us and God was lost. Because we lost trust. When Jesus shows up, he's trying to restore that. He's trying to make, as the, most of the writers in the Gospels talk about, Jesus wanting to make all things new. Putting things back together, but also making them new. I mean, when you think about the miracles that Jesus does, He takes eyes that weren't seeing, and then what's He do? He makes them so that they can see. He takes ears that can't hear, and He makes them hear. He takes people whose skin is rotting because it's literally decaying, which is kind of a sign of when things are dying, what do they do? They decay and they stink. And he heals the leper. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's showing people what it looks like to live life at its best. So it makes sense that if he could find a way to have power and authority, couldn't he just step into the situation as an authoritative figure and just say to people, man, I know what you really need. I know exactly what it is that your heart longs for because I was there at the creation of the world. I can show you the way to life, and here's what you should do. Now, when we hear the word Torah, you hear people talk about the law, and really that kind of misinterprets. Uh, like We hear things because we think about speeding tickets. When we hear the word law, we get kind of confused but the law, again, I've talked about this before, it's the archery term. It's like what it looks like for you to hit the mark. The word Torah literally means, uh, it's an archery term meaning hitting the bullseye. If you want to know what it looks like to live life at its best, this is what it looks like. And God sends Jesus with the mission of showing people what that is. And this is like an opportunity that Satan kind of presents to him. You might look at this and think, well, how is this even a temptation for Jesus? He's the son of God. Well, the temptation is that he could kind of short circuit the system and make things happen faster. If I could become king of all of the kingdoms, well, then I can kind of accomplish God's initiative much quicker. I can make people do what they're supposed to do because I'm king. I could just make it the law that they would love their neighbor as themselves. And when people don't do it, then we'll just make some consequences for them. And you can kind of see how that kind of gets twisted really quickly, which Jesus knew would happen. Because whenever someone makes a law in your world, what's it kind of make you want to do? Now, when I was a kid, you know, your parents tell you you can't go someplace, and immediately you kind of wonder why. Why well, I want to go there and figure that out. You set a boundary and quickly you want to figure out how you can get really close to it and maybe every once in a while I'll just kind of dip your toe on the other side and just see what it looks like. I mean, rules and regulations have a way of tempting us, don't they? And so Jesus looks at the, the, the situation and says, hey, is this an opportunity? And Satan presents it as an opportunity and Jesus looks at this and says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God only. I mean, if you just worship Satan, you could have everything that you would need. If you could just sell out for this one moment. And, and here's, here's where this thing gets kind of tricky. The kingdom of God, it's really hard for it to manifest itself in an earthly kingdom. That's why when God talks or when Jesus talks about, you know, His kingdom not being of this world, there's a reason why that is. Because to live the Word of God and to live as God calls us to live, it's really hard to do that and still be like an entity, country, a governmental system. Because to be a government that lives out the will and the posture of everything that God would want us to do to be quite honest with you, it's a myth. Some of you're like, "Wait, wait, what?" Like it's it's impossible to live out and manifest the way of Jesus and it be birthed or living within an earthly kingdom. People inside of a kingdom can live out the values that God has for us. But as soon as it takes on a kingship, a lordship, it loses the very nature that God intends it to have. Because kingdoms have boundaries, don't they? A kingdom has a realm, an authority, and then there's a part where you can get outside of that kingdom. But then the kingdom has to defend its boundary, right? Which is really a tricky issue. Because defending your boundary is what a kingdom should do. It needs to protect the people within its bound its borders and the authority that's been, it's been given is re, you know it's expected that you would protect me if you're my king. But it gets really tricky when Jesus says stuff like, "Put away your sword, Peter." It's really tricky when you start thinking about some of the nonviolence, even that you see. You see, the way of Jesus was never intended to be one where it's ruled over the people, and then you're, you force the people to do the will of God because he knew it would fail, because it wouldn't impact the people's hearts. Because what God is after is your heart and my heart. The way to holiness is to giving is giving your heart to God and allowing Him to begin to shape your spirit. And there'll be moments when you fail. There'll be moments when you don't even intentionally fail, and you try, and you you know you accidentally mess up, and you didn't realize it was going to be perceived that way or whatever. But pursuing holiness is is that giving of your heart. To God. And God knew that if he came in and said, I want your heart, I require it of you, your heart would never truly be changed. All that would be changed would be your actions. It would be the things that you do externally, but you'd just be doing them because you're supposed to. It wouldn't be because your heart wants you to. There's something inside us that gets really excited when you start seeing your kids. This happens in my household. Like when you see your kids starting to do the things you really hope them to do, but you, you know, they want to do it on their own. Like I about passed out not too long ago. I mentioned this in the sermon where my little girl, she was really excited because she cleaned her room. Now I've been kind of helping enforce that a little bit, but when she was like, Daddy, daddy, I cleaned my room, and it happened all on her own, you were like, oh. I was like, oh dear goodness, maybe I can be a father. You know, like when the heart of the person you love starts to do things that you, you deeply desire and they do it all on their own, it means something so different, doesn't it? I mean, if you've been married, you know, you know when your spouse does something for you out of love and it's intended as love. And they sacrifice and they give. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you know their heart. You also know when they're just doing it because they are doing it because they know they're supposed to, don't you? Now, sometimes you're like, well, I'm still glad they did it. But it's totally different when their heart is in it, isn't it? Jesus came on a donkey to surf. Hoping that as he served, it would change the way people viewed God. Hoping that as he served, that their hearts would be changed and drawn closer to God. Knowing that if they were really going to find life, it was going to come because their hearts had been transformed. Not just their actions. And so he turns Satan away and Satan then leaves. I wonder in your heart and in your world? In what ways are you trying to force your will upon the people in your world, hoping that they'll change and you find yourself frustrated because they just won't get it? And then maybe you've had that moment where there's a little breakthrough and they do what you want them to do but quickly you realize they just did it because you made them do it? In what ways are you being robbed of life because people just won't get what you want them to get because you've been trying to force them? This is, I, I, I don't want to necessarily go all political, but this is part of the problem we have with our political system is because the church has stopped serving and they've started wanting to make legislation force the will Of God upon people. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't vote for what you believe in, because I'm going to be voting for what I believe in, and I'm hoping that our legislation can reflect my beliefs. I hope it does. But when the church only does, forces its, you know, wants to initiate its initiative through legislation, people will continue to reject Jesus. That's my opinion. It's not written in like the book of Matthew. That's my opinion. So vote for what you want to believe, but also figure out a way to serve and come underneath people so that they see you supporting them and helping them and maybe they'll see the way of Jesus as it was originally intended. But then you can vote and hopefully you can set up our environment so that our environment will help be conducive to allowing people to have that freedom. But then you come back and you serve, understanding that you're called to come up underneath people and serve. Now, today I'm going to make sure I don't run this over too much. As we wrap this thing up, I want to—I don't know if you've picked up on this—but the, in the each of the weeks we have shown how Jesus is quoting Scripture from the Old Testament. Every time he's given a, a, a temptation, then he quotes something, and we bounced back to it. And I don't know if you've caught the trend or not, but. And every single one of the temptations, it's sent us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And last week, it also, we went to 6, but then we had to look back at Exodus. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where he's kind of lived in all of these temptations that have been thrown at him. And so I just want to kind of take a second and look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and give you a chance to see just all... That is there, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some of what you're going to hear in this is going to be like, "What in the world? This sounds like foreign language to me." But I thought it might be good for us as we wrap up this series, just to kind of read just this this one chapter, and maybe as you think and you prepare for Easter this next week, maybe there's something inside this that would respond that would. Maybe bring something to you that you're like, maybe I need to think about this this next week. As Holy Week kind of comes through. This is the one thing I need to think on. This is, again, Deuteronomy is the remember book. So God wants people to remember certain things. And here's how he goes. These commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. To observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan To possess. So that you and your children and their children after them may fear, which is a weird word. Sometimes you we hear it and we think, oh goodness, we need to be afraid. But basically it just means you will follow. You will you will revere. You will fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. If you want to live life and live it well, these are the things that you should consider doing. These are people who've been slaves wandering around and God's getting ready to give them the land. Make it teach, 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 teach on why he's giving this them this before they go into the land. But they're getting ready to go into this promise. And when things are going to get good, it's almost like the, once you get good, once you get comfortable, you might forget. So remember these things. Once things get easy, it's easy to kind of get lazy and just get fat. <laughs> So he's giving them this and he says, Hear, O Israel, verse 3, And be careful to obey so that that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Don't let this just be about you, but pass this thing along to your kids. Talk about them when they sit at home and when they walk along the road, when they lie down and when they get up. Strategic times in your day with your kids. Be intentional about these times with your kids. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Literally, there are a group of Jewish people who literally have little boxes they put the, this word, these words in little scrolls and they wear them in this little box on their forehead because they take this passage seriously. I'm not sure if that's necessarily what God intended. Basically saying, if, if anything is going to guide you, make this guide you, write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. There's little scroll things that Hebrew people will literally write these things on and stick them in these little scrolls and nail them on the doorposts of their homes. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, Serve him only, take oaths only in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of this land. That sounds kind of rough, huh? Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations, the decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord has promised you thrusting out all of your enemies before you as the Lord said in the future when your sons ask you. What is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them. We were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out. From there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And If you are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. You can hear all of that and think, well, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. I would argue the reason it was given was so that people would be reminded of who they are. I, I, I wanted to preach, I didn't get into it today, but I wanted to preach the reason why the people were so careful These decrees were given, and so they took the shape of law and what happened over time. The people got so focused on doing the right things that their hearts strayed from God. They got so focused on doing the right things that they forgot the thing behind the thing, which was to be reminding them that they have been set free. You have been given life. You've been set free by the sacrifice of Jesus. And there are some things that will lead you to life and life at its best. There are some promises that God gives you and me in this quest of holiness. And it's a big quest and it's kind of like eating an elephant. But don't let the pursuit of the law allow your heart to stray Don't let the end that you want to accomplish, holiness, allow you to make a sacrifice to get there. Because it could be very easy to look at, I want to be holy, and skip all of the things in between of getting there, and it can become legalistic, and you miss the point. Jesus, when tempted, you can become king and just make the whole thing kind of skip a bunch of steps Jesus knew can't skip the steps in between there yeah it'd be great if i could just look at the plate and the elephant's gone but the way to do it is by through through sacrifice by small steps hoping that people's hearts could be changed may your heart pursue god not just your actions may as you consider How to live this life well, may you not cut corners to get to the end in mind. And when faced with the discomfort of a difficult decision, may you look to the example of Christ. And as we do just each of these little things, may we wake up one day and realize we did actually eat an elephant. We look back and realize... How far God has brought us. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for these words and this truth. And Lord, may we pursue your righteousness. The end of the Deuteronomy passages says that if we pursue your heart, that would be credited to us as righteousness. So, Lord, may our endeavors honor you. May they please you. And may we lead people back to life as we pursue it ourselves. And, Lord, may our city be changing, not because we ruled over, but because we served. May we extend grace when we need to. May we ask for forgiveness when we need to. And, Lord, with each small step, May our hearts be drawn closer and closer to you. And Lord, may this effort that is honestly not even required for your love, may this effort be given to you as a pleasing offering. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.